All right, Dave, I, I would say I have a question for you, but I actually have a lot of questions for you um, because it's another edition of Debate Club, but uh, the more insane version of it that um, I've come up with. Uh, and, of course, we're joined by de facto third member of the program, great friend, long-time, long-time co- practical co-host of this show, Brandon Maxwell. Brandon, welcome to the show again. What's up? Of course, of course. I don't know why I said of course. That's not really a thing to say to what's up. Well, uh, it is now. It is now. You know what that is? That's like when you go to the movies yeah. and someone's like, enjoy the show when they give you the ticket. And you're yeah. like, you too. Yeah. yeah. I've done I've done that a million times. I've done that so many times. And yep. then I just say I'm sorry. Exactly. Uh, so Debate Club, the way it works is Brandon, Dave, and I will, between the two of us, debate a certain topic that we've come up with. Uh, we'll have to pick one side to go on. The person, I'll explain how this is going to go. So, uh, I'm going to share my screen with you guys. Hopefully it allows me to. All right. Thank God. I didn't test that before. So, uh, what do I do when I have time on my hands? I make wheels. So, this is the first wheel. This is the only possible machinations of who can debate a topic. Because there's only three of us. Are you sure you covered everybody? I did. I, did, I ran the numbers. I talked to my accountant. And I made sure I had all the numbers. Um, so if it lands on Brandon and Dave, I will pick who debates what side of the topic. If it lands on me and Brandon, Dave will pick it. I would say so on and so forth, but there's literally only two other options. So you get the idea. Uh, and now here's the real crazy part. Here's the wheel of 50 different topics I came up with. Oh my God. (laughs) I've been workshopping a few of them, but the other ones, uh, kind of just came to me. So I will spin them simultaneously. So let's start with this one, and then spin this one. I have the list on my phone, by the way. We are going to start with question number 33, and it will be... Oh, look, it's Brandon and Dave, so I get to pick who argues what. That's awesome. It's actually one of the questions I had listed before I even started this. Uh, So, Brandon, you will argue against. Dave, you will argue for. Does Mac Jones have a future with the Patriots beyond another year. Dave, if, you, if, you, if you'd like to make the case for Mac Jones. You want me to go first? Please. Um, not a great start. I think there's actually a pretty good case, even if I wasn't arguing and I, and I had to pick. I think there's a pretty good case for him. I mean... The, his rookie year was really, really strong. They made the playoffs. Not easy to do, even with the extra team. Still not easy to do in the NFL. 10-7, and 7, um, 67% complete, completion percentage, 22 TDs, 13 interceptions. He, w- he was pretty good, 50.9 QBR. That would tell you he's about average. But let's be honest. If you're an average QB, you can still win in this league. That's very, very, very doable. And We've seen many guys As a young QB, if you, know, if you can finish at – average or better especially in like the middle first round end of the first round like you're not getting a polished guy that's like oh for the most part if you get a guy that's outside the top 10 you're gonna have to work through some some struggles with him even even like you are in the top 10 but the top 10 obviously has the more um has the more raised ceiling but when you look at it like last year he still finished with more touchdowns than interceptions, despite playing for a defensive coordinator as his play caller. 
and a special teams guy telling him what to do, which apparently, according to all reports, Joe Judge would tell him something, and immediately another coach would be like, hey, don't listen to that. <laughs> so, like, this guy went through all that, went through the ringer, and sure, he did not come out on top as far as public perception with the yelling on the field, and he kind of looks like a child, and throwing temper tantrums, like, that's not great stuff. That needs to be improved on. But you look at a guy that can make all the throws, he's accurate, he played for Nick Saban, so you know he's okay with a demanding coach. And let's throw in, like, the cherry on top is his contract, because he's still on a rookie deal, you're going to be able to afford a lot of talent around him for the next few years while you're still basically deciding if you want to keep him. makes no sense to get rid of him because of the fact the deal is mostly guaranteed as a first-round pick. So All right. I, I just think that overall, the accuracy, the decision-making, the potential from first year where he actually had a real offense to play with and the contract, it makes it a no-brainer. A no-brainer. A no-brainer. Okay. Well, now Brandon's got to tell us why that is not a no-brainer. <laughs> um, well, if I'm being honest, I think that Max deserves – you know, another chance because of all the things last year, especially with Patricia. But as far all as right, sounds like sounds like I won. Uh, as far as building the case against him, though, um, as far as just being a franchise quarterback, still very questionable at best as to whether he is or not. And I think that honestly, like it's gearing closer toward not being the case. Um, you know, last year, the year before last, I should say at this point. He did pretty well, um, especially for what you want as a rookie, but he also, you know, looked like a game manager at times. And I understand that's something that's going to come with a rookie, especially like you said, Dave, when you picked uh, the fifth quarterback in the draft. Um, but the, the regression last year was was major. He looked really bad for the majority of the season, um, really immobile, which is definitely coming to, to hurt him. And it might hurt him in the long run because he doesn't have to be a running quarterback, but you at least need to be able to, move out of the pocket every once in a while. And he showed flashes of it here and there, but not consistently enough to where you're comfortable when the, the pocket collapses that he has any chance of not getting completely destroyed. Um, uh, outside of that, um, very shaky in terms of his chemistry with receivers. You know, there'd be guys who, like, um, like uh, uh, how am I forgetting his first name? Henry. Oh, uh, 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 I almost said Travis. Hunter Henry? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how I forgot his name. Travis um, has such a rapport with him. His rookie season last year, uh, there's basically the Vikings game, and that was pretty much like the only time you saw Hunter Henry be an actual focal point in the offense. And again, granted, that's not necessarily Max's decision, but um, you know, he he didn't make the most of what he had. And uh, another thing that you have to look at as far as uh, reaching the end of his rookie contract is. Those guys, when they get tend to reach that point, they're getting like at least 30 mil. Um, you know, the rumor, and I don't know how true it is, but the rumor right now is that Daniel Jones is looking for something in the 45 mil range. Um, and if you're looking at something like that with Mac, are you going to be willing to do that in two years? So I think that's a huge question that has to be asked. Would you rather pay Mac 30 to 40 million um, a season, or would you rather start a new and find another quarterback in the draft or uh, or get someone who's a veteran? Um, but again, I think. Personally, I think Mac, you know, deserves a second chance, but I think there's a strong argument against him as well. All right, our next uh, our next debate topic, number eighteen on my list. Who will be debating it? It will be me and Brandon. So Dave will determine who is arguing against or for whom. This is a versus. This is one against the other. 
Dave, the topic is simple. Bert versus Ernie. I'll be like, all right. I can't even do that. <laughs> I don't even Brandon's going to debate Bert, Damn. and Jake will take Ernie. So that's the – Brandon got the easy one. I got to debate er, – never mind. Never mind. All right. I'll, I'll build start. the case. I'll build the case. I'll start. I don't know which one is which. <laughs> Bert's the one who's always annoyed. So he's a yellow one? Yeah, 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 yeah. Is that the one I'm arguing for? Yes. Oh, that dude's an asshole. Uh, <laughs> You're arguing for him. You're arguing for him, Brandon. Yeah, that's, that's my argument for him. If you, I mean, sometimes you need to, you know, be a douchebag. I guess. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll make I'll make my case very simple. I'll make my case very. I think you won, according to Emily. I'll make my case for for Ernie very simple. It's the opposite. Great friend, great roommate. He's always looking out for Bert, but Bert's just too much of a curmudgeon to uh to really appreciate that. I mean, maybe he's just sick of dealing with Ernie's toxic positivity. <laughs> I, 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 toxic positivity. I think uh, you're, you're. I, I think you're looking at a guy who takes somebody for granted in Bert. I mean, he's just uh, he he doesn't he doesn't see the forest for the trees. Let's put it that way. Ernie's just trying to be a, a great guy for him. Is it also known for being like a dumbass? A, you know, he, he's a silly heart. You know, that's how I like to I like to spin it. All right, so. He's just probably dealing with stupid ass well, questions. Bert's no, Bert's no Einstein. <laughs> Bert's just probably dealing with stupid ass questions all day. Completely sick of it, and he's got it. He's with that dude all the time, and it just adds up. You know, everyone's got. Bro, a... Bert, my advice to Bert: don't let the door hit you in the way out. All right, you're living in New York City. You're living on Sesame Street. Don't don't let the door hit you in the way out. All right. Um. All right. Well, that was a quick one, at least. <laughs> all right. Next one. All right, it is topic number 47, and it'll be me against Dave. So Brandon gets to pick who argues which against which. All right, the Dodgers of the past six or seven years, a success or a disappointment? Um, Dave argues success, Jake argues disappointment. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Uh, all right, Dave went first the last time, so I will go first this time. Um, I mean, how is it not a disappointment? I mean, you, you have a team that's winning over 100 games pretty much every season. You have top-flight talent. You have Hall of Famers on this team. And you have a really good manager, I think, too. I like Dave Roberts as a manager. And your only World Series came during the COVID-shortened year, and I think it was kind of a testament to what your team is like. You know, the Dodgers start off hot. They're one of the best teams in baseball. They look like a team that's going to make a run, win the World Series. And they lose steam. It happens every single year except for the COVID season. I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, and look, you know, you, you could say this about the Celtics. Like, you know, if the Celtics won the title in the bubble, would I be saying that about them? I, I would not. I don't want to wade into that, all right? I'm not going to get into what-ifs. <laughs> but the Dodgers, it's a 60-game season in baseball. It, it just doesn't feel like a real season. And I know it's hard to win a World Series. I understand that. I get it. I concede that point. But when you have that many kicks at the can when you're the Dodgers and the closest you've come to a full season World Series is losing pretty unceremoniously to teams that are better than you through um, <clears throat> conventional ways or not, um, I just think you have to look at it and see it's it's nothing. It, it, it's, it's a disappointment. I know they're consistently there, and that's great. But at a certain point, being there 
just becomes a disappointment rather than an achievement. And I think that's where the Dodgers are right now. So that's my my case. Dave, I turn it to you to tell me why this is a success. Um, it's a success because they've been to three World Series and an, an NLCS and then two NLDSs. So, I mean, they make the playoffs every year. And they, although they've only won one World Series, they still have won a World Series and they've been to three. I mean, that's... I'll take those odds anytime you can get them. Teams want to see... You want to see your team playing in October. And this team has done that routinely. I mean, there's, they have good talent. They have a high payroll. They have basically the envy of the league with that farm system slash payroll of constantly being able to churn out all-star players from the farm system, lock up guys from free agency to supplement them. They're just... There's like a never-ending flow of talent coming into that team, and they've set up a structure where they don't have to overpay for guys, and free agency and trades are more supplementive than necessity, like with the Red Sox, the White Sox. Those teams, the minor leagues have not given them the fruit that they need. It's really just been constantly band-aiding, band-aids or patching up the holes in the wall it's it's really just constantly an issue the dodgers don't have that problem they have a willing front office to make moves but also to know when to hold back and like i said your goal as a team as a fan too is you want your team playing in into into october that's this team has done that routinely could they have won more world series sure i mean that's Obviously, they should have probably, but I don't know how you can consider them a failure when they've been to three World Series. Well, well I never I said mean, I never said failure. I said disappointment. I wouldn't even say it's a disappointment though. Mm. If if you had said before 2017 they'd go to three World Series from 2017 to 2022, would you say that was a success? I mean, it's all about context, though. I mean, if you're getting would, to three World Series, would you have taken that? I guess, but if you're if you're getting if, if I. But, but if I tell you right now, but it's all about if you're next, winning, if you're winning ninety games on the dot and getting three World Series, that's like that's cool, it's an achievement. But like you're winning one hundred and fifteen games or whatever they won, one hundred and ten games, and you're getting bounced before the World Series, it's disappointing, objectively. But, okay, so if I tell you the Red Sox over the next seven years are going to average one hundred and five wins per season, one hundred and four wins, whatever mm-hmm. it is, mm-hmm. and they're going to go to three World Series and two NLCSs, you're going to say that's a disappointment. Well, first of all, I would say it's impossible because the Red Sox can't go to NLCSs. Well, ALCS. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Um, I mean, yeah, I think it's all about context, right? Like, it's the, these are franchises that are supposed to be doing this. Red Sox, Yankees, Dodgers. Like, they have the payroll. They have the acumen. They have everything to do it's this. It's supposed to, but, I mean, sports is sports is tough. Like, that's, that's why March Madness is a thing. Like, if it was always Duke and UNC winning it, no one would give a shit, but it's – then you have like Dayton in the Elite Eight, and you yeah. have George Mason in the Final Four. Yeah. Like, you don't 100 know what's going to happen. You well, have Butler versus UConn, you have Butler versus Duke in the final, in the finals. Like, you I just think don't that, know. That's, I mean, it's a little different because you're talking about a field of 64 teams as opposed to a field of what eight, six. Okay, well, what about the Bengals? They hit a lucky burrow, and all of a sudden they're in the top of the, they're in the cream of the crop. I mean, I mean fo- it's but football is a different sport. I mean, that's that's different. I mean that's a lot of that's a lot of uh, caveats there. I've listed two. Oh, you're you're here. listing a lot of caveats too. You brought up a whole different franchise. <laughs> all right, whatever. Uh, all right, next up, 
Uh, topic number 42 will be Brandon and Dave. This is a nice little circle we're going in here. Uh, all right, number 42. Ooh, uh, I'm actually going to I'm gonna switch 41 and 42 because I really want to argue 41. I'm being selfish. Um, I'm sorry, 42. I really want to argue 42. This seems like cheating. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Well, I think you guys will enjoy the one that I'm that I'm gonna give to you. All right, Dave, you are gonna argue against Brandon, the more iconic URI Rams basketball player, Jeff Doughton or Hassan Martin. Brandon, you are gonna argue Hasi the Great. Dave, you're gonna argue for Jeff Doughton. Ah, oh, son of a bitch. Uh, all right, well, I'll, I'll start. First off, in terms of Hassan Martin, just won a championship over in Europe, so shout out to him. <laughs> uh, got a ring overseas now. Uh, I'm pretty sure his team's made it really far into the playoffs multiple times. I'm pretty sure he's a multi-time all-star over there, too. Um, as far as his stats with URI goes, um, what what are he, he's, what, top three in what, blocks, rebounds, like 10-block games, like yeah. crazy insane stats, and you know, we watched up close and personal. We saw plenty of games where he was just getting like almost like uh, five, uh, five and five stats, mm-hmm. uh, like five blocks, five rebounds, five steals, like five, five points, five boards, stuff like that. Um, he was just putting up some crazy stat lines, stuff that hasn't been seen from a URI player in a minute. He was also doing all of this as like a six, 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 seven player, mm-hmm. playing a big man, um, which was really great to see as well because. Um, for example, on St. Bonaventure, they had a center that was like 7-2. So seeing Hassan mm. Martin go up against him and you know still come out doing pretty well was always fun to see. What was that and, guy's name? Oh, I, I do remember what you're talking about, though. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure, as is the case with, I'm sure with Dalton as well, but I mean, Hassan Martin, uh, sooner than later, him, EC Matthews, some of those guys on those uh, rosters that went to the round of 32 a couple times, uh, you're going to be seeing their jerseys retired pretty soon or in the ring of honor whatever they're calling it mm. not to do that over uh over at the Ryan center um the thing i love about hassan martin which i'm sure there was a lot if you look back at the rau2 archives which i'm sure uh do not exist anymore uh, at least from when we were on the air uh oh yeah that's definitely something that they, they keep yeah definitely uh <laughs> Yeah, there's probably a lot of recordings of me getting, going absolutely bonkers about the fact that Briante Weber beat Hassan Martin for Defensive Player of the Year in the A10 when he played half the games. It was only because, yeah, because he set the Steals record, and he played like 10 games that year because he got hurt. And Hassan Martin was Hassan Martin's out there blocking five shots a game. Yeah, Weber tore his ACL, and then he uh, signed on with the Heat Yeah, as a, mm-hmm. as a, a G League player, and I think he cracked the bottom of the roster for a little bit. Yeah, I think, I think so. Up the team for a little bit too. That was like in their that that was like right after they were winning titles with LeBron before they got good again. So that's why he was probably making the roster. Um, all right, Dave. So Hassan Martin's case has been made. Jeff Doughton. All right. Hassan Martin's a great player, but the one thing you undisputed that you need in college basketball more than any other league of basketball is a guard you need a lead guard it's the reason why steph curry and davidson did so well it's the reason why Allen iverson and georgetown patrick ewing needed the guard with them it there's there's you there's a number of a number of teams that you can go back on and look listen jeff Dowden was the pace the table setter for everyone that he played with 
And there's a reason why he's still playing in the NBA and he's floating around all these different teams. He's been with Orlando. He's been with Golden State. He's been with Toronto. Because he does a little bit of everything and he's never out of control. When you see him play, he's never out of control. He's never out of breath. Never really just running up and down the court, turning the ball over like some of the guys you see trying to make a name for himself. He's steady. And he played from 16-17 to 19-20. When you look at it, they won 20-plus games three of the four years there. So, you know, the success of a point guard carries your team. Before that, they had had one 21 season in the last six years. I mean, the, the numbers speak for themselves that the, the point guard really makes a difference. I know they had um, Jarvis Garrett, too, before. But, I mean, Doughton unseated him at the end of his career. And Garrett kind of took it in stride. But, uh, I mean, Doughton is, was the guy that Hurley trusted. And you saw him kind of creep up at the numbers at the end of the year, at the end of his career, too. Became a better shooter, more consistent, increased his volume, um, consistent three-point shooter. By the end of it, he increased his free throw percentage by 18 points, still averaging four assists a game, low turnover numbers, 15 points. He did basically kind of like whatever they asked him, and that's really what you need out of a college point guard. Wow, this is quite the case. I, I like I like both those cases. I love both of them. And also, uh, Jeff Doughton, one of the strangest jump shots I've ever seen in my life. Um, True. And still sank a lot of shots regardless of that. All right, next up is number 19. Being argued by David Brandon again. <laughs> Love it. All right. <laughs> I like this one. I'm proud of this one. All right. Uh, Dave, you are going to argue against, and Brandon, you're going to argue for, the wholesale elimination of all-star games. You keep the honor, but no longer play the games. Baseball, I'm bat- for, you ba- said I'm for or against? You are. Oh shit! Now you got me as tailspin. Uh, I think you're four. No, wait. I think you said against. You're against. Okay, yeah, you're. Okay, that's right. Right, because against is the is against is the positive one this time. So, yeah, you want to keep all the all star games. No changes though, as is. Brandon wants to get rid of all of them. Oh, that sucks. That's a shame. All right, you want me to go first? It's up to you guys. Sure. Um, all right. I think you have to keep the all-star games because although they're a pain in the ass sometimes and you don't really see the full value of, of having the best in the world to play uh, all together and against each other, I still think it's better than nothing. It's better than the alternative of literally just dead air and you give them a week off. I, I think people would still rather have the option on watch entertainment. And... Uh, there are still positives for all the All-Star games. You know, even the Pro Bowl, which is probably the worst of the four sports when they had it, you're still watching, like, the the best in the world kind of interact. And I think that's in and of itself is worth something. Like, I think when you watch the NBA and you watch, like, Tatum and Brown go one-on-one, no one's like, oh, wow, you know, I can't believe that, Steph Curry didn't pass to Anthony Edwards in the corner for that three. It's just like, it's a fun little game that you get to see who interacts with each other. You know, when you have Dame taking shots before half court and you have, you know, an ace starter like a Verlander or 
back in the day, Pedro coming out of the bullpen, something like that. It's it's fun to see these guys in different roles with different teammates. And you want to see the best of the best compete. Now, is it always the perfect solution? No, it's not. But the alternative is literally nothing happens for the All-Stars. And that's that's worse than just having these games that are probably not maximized their potential. All right, Brandon, let's get rid of all of them. Um, well, for starters, the athletes literally couldn't give less of a shit about any of the All-Star games. Um, football being the, the, the worst example, um, it, it's just gross at this point. Like, what are we even watching? You know, you got... And, and the, the worst part is, if they actually put, like, some form of effort into any of these events um, on the peripheral of these All-Star games... They could be so much better. Like, granted, the home run derby in baseball is pretty much always a hit. Outside of that, the skills competition this year in the NBA, complete trash. Why are the attentive to the Kumpo brothers? Excuse me. Uh, why are they in it every fucking year? This is like the ninth time they've been a part of it. Um, and as far as, you know, the, the dunk contest goes, shout out to Mac McClung for making it interesting. But, you know, outside of that, it's, if you have like something like that, it makes it at least worthwhile watching. But you know, I would say eight, nine times out of ten, dunk contest is usually pretty trash. Um, as far as football goes, again, all these you know dumb events that are really like the, this. What was it? Uh, the best crazy catch competition. They're literally just like jumping on a trampoline onto a uh, like a, a big huge mattress pad sort of yeah, thing. Pretty much. Like, bro, like who who cares about this? Um, Viewership's down for all of them by a significant margin. Um, no one, again, no one really cares. The players don't. Um, I bet you it's tough to find, you know, um, a lot of players who aren't, like, sleep-deprived or hungover by the end of it because it's so it's like a big party weekend, as it should be. Yeah. Um, and then there's a random-ass game that's in the, in the middle of it. Um, in reality, I think they should be kept, but... There's my argument for I like it. Out. I like it a lot. Number 16. It will be, oh, for God's sake. I'm going to submit it again. If it's you guys again, we'll do it. But <laughs> try to admit, it's only four options. What am I supposed to do here? Uh, well, fate has determined that you guys have to argue this next one. Damn. I, I know you guys really want to go at me. I understand. Um, number 16. All right. This is a, this is a simple one. <laughs> Uh, Dave, you are going to argue for this time. Brandon, you will argue against. I think Brandon has the much easier case, so good luck, Dave. The 2023 Boston Red Sox will win 90 games. Oh, I have to I, argue they are going to? You do. I, I, you know, I, I'll, I'll, if you want to switch, Dave, I'm fine with that. No, I'll, I'll take I'll take the challenge. Damn, okay, okay. Brandon, please present your case first. Um, honestly, I, I, I would... I think Dave's argument is going to be a good one because I think the team could surprise the people. But as far as the the pessimist view goes, um, for one, the starting rotation is brittle as hell. Um, it's like um, a Jenga tower that's <laughs> lopsided. <laughs> one little wisp of air from completely crashing down. Uh, who's the ace? I know it's technically Chris Sale at this point, but we haven't seen him pitch for more than five innings in like three years. So, um, you know, that's a pretty optimistic take to consider him the ace in the day one starter. Mm. 
Corey Kluber, he was pretty good last year, but I mean, he's 15 years into his career too. Um, Whitlock and Bayo, I'm hoping that they can be good, but there's also a lot on their shoulders uh, coming into this. Uh, a lot of pressure in their situation because they're going to be expected to do so much. And then as far as the fifth starter goes, whether it's Pavetta, uh, I think he's just like the most average pitcher. Um, he just really is doesn't move the needle either way for me. Uh, he eats a pretty good amount of innings, but also, I mean, he, he hasn't done that too consistently in his career. He did a lot. He pitched a lot of innings last year, but he's never really done it uh, consistently year to year. Um, Paxton, same exact boat as Chris Sale, hasn't pitched in two years, two plus years. Who knows what's good with him? Tanner Houck, we need to see a third pitch from him before he can be considered a starter. Uh, the bullpen, I think, really upgraded. Offense, and again, this is the pessimistic take. Because I, I really do think the Red Sox could be pretty good this year. Not saying they'll be first place or anything, but I think they could be decent. But, again, with this take, um, they signed a bunch of guys at the end of their career to short-term contracts. Um, that sounds like a team that's not necessarily going all-in and not necessarily tanking. So it's just, you know, meh. It's like, what are you really doing in that direction? Middle infield right now is a big question mark. Uh, Christian Arroyo is usually hurt within, you know, a few weeks of being back. And that's unfortunate because he showed a lot of flashes with the Red Sox, but he needs to show that he can be an everyday player, and he hasn't done that yet. And meanwhile, he's going to be the starting second baseman. Then you're going to have, obviously, Kike Hernandez, who I think could be a reliable shortstop. But the other infielder that you have right now is Alberto Mondesi, who who knows if he's going to be healthy. Uh, he could start the season on the aisle, too. Um, outside of that, uh, same deal as Bayo and Whitlock. You got a lot of pressure on Tristan Costas' shoulder as well, shoulders as well. Um, and then with the catching situation between Alfaro, Wong, and McGuire, um, they seem like all good depth options, but can any of these guys stand up and be like a consistent everyday guy? Um, not necessarily everyday because obviously you need a platoon with catcher, but I mean, can one of these guys step up and be like the de facto number one catcher? Um, and, and who knows if, if that's, that remains to be seen. So um, obviously you got Devers. You're going to have uh, probably a couple of these dudes do better than expected, but a lot's going to be uh, asked of this team. And uh, Yoshida, uh, that's a big question mark, too, because who knows if that can translate to the big leagues. Uh, again, my my take would be closer to the, the four with Dave, and I think Yoshida's going to ball this year. But anyways, that's it. Oh, oh, and then one last thing as far as the pessimistic view goes. Uh, Verdugo, who knows what's good. Like, he's in a very limbo point right now. It's a very make-or-break year. Um, he had a lot of injuries last year. So, you know, if he could be healthy... Who knows? Let's see what happens. But at this point, you have, you can only go off of what you've seen uh, lately. And he had a rough year last year. So there, there's the there's the, the pessimistic take. All right. I love it. Dave, why will the Red Sox win 90 games this year? I think when you look at it, there's a solid chance that they could be improved from last year in a lot of different spots. I think the first spot, obviously, you're going to see improvement is closer. Like, Kenley Jansen is a proven closer. He gets guys out, and although it's not always the most pretty, he consistently posts high save numbers, and he consistently posts above-average numbers of, with runners in scoring position. And then you look at uh, the home run numbers. Like, no, like they lost Bogarts, but I wouldn't say Bogarts is even a home run hitter really anymore. He had, like, one or two years where he was a home run hitter. That was pretty much it. JD's power numbers completely tailed off at the end of his career. And then you improve the bullpen more than just adding Jansen, actually. You added Chris Martin, 
who has one of the lower walk rates in baseball. You get another season of John Schreiber, uh, Jolie Rodriguez and Richard Blyer. They both should add some some depth to the bullpen, which I think was severely lacking last year. I think when you look at the starters, you bump down Pavetta to probably third, fourth, maybe even a fifth starter. You have uh, Paxton potentially filling in some innings. I think you have more depth soupies. You have Bayo, you have Mata in AAA, and you can always stretch out Tanner Houck and put him in like a swing role where you put him and you start the first three or four innings, kind of stretches out the team. You have Corey Kluber, who's basically just giving you innings and in like a 3.8 ERA everywhere he's been, no matter what team he's been on the last five or six years. Chris Sale should be back, and even if you take it easy on him, he should still give you a three ERA over 125, 150 innings. I, I think the catcher thing isn't really a big issue because overall the catching is is pretty limited in, in Major League Baseball. There's very, very few actually everyday catchers. For the most part, it's just playing numbers. So I think McGuire and Wong is fine there. I think Casas, I don't really agree that there's a lot of pressure on him because first base was such a black hole last year for the Red Sox. That literally all he has to do is say... Like, Sorry, Dave, we're actually out of time on this topic. We have to move on to the next one. Literally, all you have to do for cost 240 with 12 home runs is like what they got last year at the first base. I, you, so like, you broke up there. I'm sorry. I couldn't, couldn't hear you. <laughs> so it's like he obviously has to come close to that. It's like he could do that in his sleep. Uh, Justin Turner, Duvall, uh, Yoshida all should average more than what they got out of those positions last year with various depth signings and uh, injuries that they had, and they were filling in with basically Band-Aids all over the place. I like the Duval signing a lot, too. So I think Maxwell's right. I think this team could surprise some people. Uh, also, I'm just kidding. I love, I do love Tristan Cassis, but I will stand Bobby Dahlbeck forever. All right, next one, number 49. This will be, oh, me and Dave. Very nice. All right. Uh, Brandon, you will determine who is arguing what side of this topic should the NFL retire number 12 league-wide? Oh, my God. Absolutely not. But, uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, but I, and, I, and I'm the biggest Tom Brady fan. But anyways, uh, not to, to give the, the victor already. Well, I, yeah. I, I didn't say whether it was Tom Brady. I was going to say they should do it for Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, just for the collective of, of all the guys who were number 12. Um, all right, Jake, you're gonna argue the Homer. Oh, damn it, Jersey should be retired. And Dave, you're gonna argue <laughs> what every other fan base outside of the Patriots and the Buccaneers would say, and the Seahawks. Yeah, yeah, the the official daddy of the Seahawks. The uh, you're gonna, man. Yeah, you're gonna right. argue that they're not. All right, all right, I got it here. Why don't I go first? Because I have like two sentences. All right, go ahead. If you think that a, t- a sport where they basically have limited jersey numbers that they should rot- retire a QB who only played for two teams in his career league-wide and didn't do anything to help with, like, any sort of social justice or off-the-field thing and he just did on-the-field stuff, you are out of your mind. You are off your rocker, and you should not be put in the sports debate mm. prep. All right, that's fine. That's all, that's, all, that's all well and good. When you think about it, when you really distill it down to the nitty-gritty, Tom Brady... It's the story of the American dream. Is he not? 
One would let, argue let, Kurt Warner has made let a movie me, about that. Let me finish. Uh, Kurt Warner's overrated. Tom Brady. The movie says otherwise. Uh, I love watching Kurt Warner play football. Yeah, that, that's definitely saying otherwise. Um, if there's one thing Tom Brady has over Kurt Warner forever, it's that Zach Levy didn't play him in a movie. Um, anyway, as of before, I was so rudely interrupted. Uh, <laughs> you know, Tom Brady was an underdog. You know, went to Michigan, uh, was not a highly touted quarterback coming out, was drafted. You may have heard this somewhere. Uh, 199th overall, sixth rounder. And he had to work to get to where he was in the NFL. He was not handed things on a silver platter in the NFL. He fought. He worked. Even when he took the job from Drew Bledsoe, he didn't earn it all the way because he got hurt himself and had to take it back from Drew Bledsoe. Also, you could make a very good argument that he's the best player in the history of the sport. Um, I mean, he is at least on the Mount Rushmore you know, with like Jerry Rice and Lawrence Taylor. And honestly, if you said the same thing about Jerry Rice or Lawrence Taylor saying retired their number league-wide, I don't think people would laugh as much about it. I don't think they would. And I don't think Jerry Rice or Lawrence Taylor did a whole lot more for the NFL um, than Tom Brady did. Um, so I could see arguments for them being made as well, you know, retiring their numbers league-wide. Um, maybe Jerry Rice a little bit more, but obviously LT, you know, maybe greatest defensive player of all time. Um, but Tom Brady is just, you know, he's a consummate winner in the NFL and every single record for quarterbacks in the regular season in the playoffs pretty much and then combined belongs to him right now at least all timers um I mean you're, you're never you'll never see this again seven Super Bowls and like a big part of every single one of them you will never see that again ever and I think that yeah will it will it happen absolutely not should it happen no but I think there's at least a case you could make for it. Um, I don't think it's – I'm not sure if there's any NFL number that should be retired league-wide. Um, but if you're going to make an argument for any of them, I think Brady is up there with some others. So um, that's my case for Tom Brady. Uh, Tommy Touchdown, if you're listening, <laughs> retire the number. <laughs> uh, oh, shit, that was 49. I didn't even take it off the wheel. Damn, there it is. Hold on here. Gotta save it. Alright. Next up. Alright. What number we got here? Uh, we have number eight. And it'll be... Oh, look, Brandon and Dave again. <laughs> <laughs> That's a popular one. This is rigged. I know, I'll spin it again. I'll spin it one more time. Again, if the, if, the, if, the, if, the, if the wheel fates it, it will be so. Oh, well, Brandon, it looks like it's going to be me and you this time. Jake is, Jake is out here just trying to steal, steal uh, a fair spin. All right, Dave, you're going to choose between me and Brandon. <laughs> Bring, bringing back the Burton and Ernie argument. <laughs> oh uh, Dave, very simple. Batman or Superman? Uh, please let me get the, the one I want. All I'll, right, I'll let Brandon. you choose. I'll choose. You tell me whichever one you want. I want Batman. All right, take Batman. That's fine. Okay. Uh, excuse me. I get. I am the judge and jury here. <laughs> I, I get to pick who gets. Oh, it. oh, sure, please. Uh, Brandon, who did you want? Batman. All right, you can have Batman. <laughs> thank you, thank you, kindest and most noble Dave. Brandon wins. 
I love it. All right, I'll, I'll go first this time since Dave uh, just had to get his word in edgewise about Tom Brady first. <clears throat> um, look, Superman, when you think about it, distill it down to the nitty-gritty. Really the story of the American dream. <laughs> um, he came here from a different world, um, you know, pulled up his bootstraps, and made a life for himself as a hard-working reporter at the Daily Planet. But also, he was saving the world many, many times over. And also, like, let's look at this objectively. Like, we're arguing the characters, their legacy, all that stuff. If Superman actually fought Batman, like, not like... He would kill him within, like, two seconds. Like, there are, like, metahumans that would not beat Superman. And they would put up at least a fight. Like, spare me the kryptonite grenades that he makes in Batman vs. Superman. He would kill him, like, the second he had the chance. Like, if he could, he would. Because he can. Um, But also, I think if you're looking at how iconic the characters are, I think Superman has him beat. I mean, he is kind of that, you know, that the truth, justice, in the American way. Like, you know, he's, he's, you know, this iconic superhero. This one that everybody knows. I mean... If ninety nine percent of if ninety six percent of people know who Batman is, ninety nine percent of people know who Superman is, and he's you. You could probably get people to tell you like a couple of his powers. You know, they all know Lois Lane. Um, it, it's I think he's just the I think he's better overall. I think he's got more notoriety. I think you know maybe the only thing Batman has is the Rogues Gallery is a little is better than Superman's. I mean, I'm not like a big Lex Luthor fan, so whatever. But you could argue that Superman helps elevate those storylines because he is facing off against a weaker crew, but also who can really oppose him anyway. Um, so yeah, that, that Superman's Superman's got Batman beat. Let's be real. I mean, come on. Was he got some fancy gadgets? Got a grappling hook? Ooh, cool. You're rich. That's a great superpower. Um, no, nah, come on now. So, Superman's got beat. G- give, give me, give me the, give me the red cape and the undies all day long. I rest my case. All right. Uh, the argument for Batman. Um, really, the only thing that you can knock against him is that he doesn't have, like, a natural superpower, and he's just, like, a, a super rich, like, uh, trust fund kid. Um, but the fact that he uses all of that for good is the biggest part of it, you know? He could just be a rich asshole like anyone else who has <laughs> as much money as he does, but he instead uses it to buy all these cool-ass gadgets uh, make his voice really uh, growly and save the city. And he doesn't want any recognition. The people of Gotham hate him. He still comes in and helps them out. Still comes in and puts in the work for the city because he knows these are hardworking people who, you know, have a tough life and they don't necessarily uh, know what he's doing for them. They're, they're unaware of all of the sacrifices he's making for the people of Gotham. So Batman, extremely noble, obviously, too. I think the... Uh, public persona of Bruce Wayne being, you know, the rich heir and the the person who's like hopping out of the limo drunk with like a girl on each arm. Um, you know, obviously he's got the the dichotomy there. Um, but you know, hey, he enjoys his life, and then he also, you know, protects the city. He's a he's a person who's you know got both of those um, both of those uh, different um, you know things about him, and also you know. His, his parents got taken from him as a kid. He had a hard life. You know, he's got the, the come up, the, the, obviously, again, he was rich as hell, so that made things a lot easier. 
but he had the, the you know the difficulty of you know living without his parents which money won't 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 fix you, you, you know superman he, you know superman's entire planet was annihilated right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he, and bruce wayne came out on top and saved gotham again so you all superman is out here wearing his you know his fake prescription glasses like being hella pretentious um bruce wayne is out here balling during the day saving the city by night i mean i don't know what else there is to say i will say that was quite the lifestyle also as far as the movies go the batman movies are obviously far superior to pretty much any superman movie out there that's why the topic wasn't about movies because there's no there's no debate there (laughs) does that not include the character no i was just talking about the character the character itself not the the character appears in the, the films dude. oh well that, that's well if you're talking about animated ones batman also has no i'm talking about no no know, well no batman also hasn't beaten the animated ones too uh, you know, yeah all of them all of them yeah uh well we just ran out of time on that one i'm sorry that came after the buzzer uh number 38 will be argued between me and dave let's see what number 38 is Ooh, this is a fun one brandon you get to decide who is gonna argue who would you rather have for the next five seasons, Joe Burrow or Josh Allen? All right, Jake argues for his boy Josh Allen. That's what I and, wanted. And Dave argues for Joe Burrow. I love Joe Burrow. All right, I'll I'll start with Josh Allen. Um, Wrong. Sorry. All right, so practiced. Josh Allen, unlike Joe Burrow, can actually move his legs up and down the field. Um. Uh, just start there. I mean, he's he's a freak in nature. I mean, they call that him. That seems overly simplistic of and mean of Joe Burrow. I mean, guy rushes for like fifteen yards a game, but and maybe he's you know out of self preservation. Maybe it's the injury he had, whatever it is. But if I'm taking one of those guys for the next five years, I'm taking Josh Allen because he is such a dynamic player. You cannot bring him down. Also, I think you know quarterbacks with that kind of that that sort of skill set don't maybe last as long in the NFL. Maybe he's a unicorn. Maybe it's different. Maybe he plays 20 years like that. But he's going to eventually start to break down. So if I'm taking somebody for the next five years, I want the guy that's going to run like a bull in a china shop, no matter who's in front of him or what's in front of him. And he also just has, I mean, so is Joe Burrow. They both have a really, really strong fire in them. Joe Burrow's a little cooler than Josh Allen. Um, but Josh Allen kind of has that more natural, fiery energy to him than, than Joe Burrow appears to let on. And I think some of that's, you know, having a chip on his shoulder, being a little bit of an underdog coming out of college, having a really rough first season in the NFL and a not-so-great second season, but better second season. Um, and, you know, his numbers bear that out. I mean, he's he was a runner-up in the MVP race a couple of years ago, probably should have won it, um, but that could be debated. Uh, or maybe he was third place, whatever. He was top three. Um, really, really good player. And I think, you know, he's he's taken, I mean, so is Joe Burrow with Cincinnati. But, I mean, at least they made the playoffs a few times with Andy Dalton. That, that Buffalo team made one playoff appearance with Tyrod Taylor. But for pretty much the past 20 years, they have been a complete, you know, joke. They've been irrelevant. And Josh Allen rescued them from that. And I think we continue to do it because he is that guy. He is him, as they say. Um... I'm rolling with Josh Allen. I think he brings more to the table overall than Joe Burrow does. Um, I think he's, you know, if Joe Burrow is the, you know, fourth best or fifth best quarterback, Josh Allen's probably the third or fourth or second or third. On, on, on his best day, Josh Allen is the best quarterback in the league, not named Patrick Mahomes. So 
That's where I stand on Josh Allen, which I know is quite the 180 from where I was three years ago. So, you know. Dave, I know you were just blown away by that presentation. So if you want to recover for a couple of seconds and then present your case on Joe Burrow. Uh, I think Josh Allen has certainly had some successful seasons, but uh, Joe Burrow is potentially the future face of the league. When you compare the first three seasons of these guys, Joe Burrow has over 200 more completions despite playing in two less games. He's completed 7% more of his passes despite having just 100 more attempts. He has over 2,000 more yards passing, 15 more touchdowns. His QB rating is 10 points higher. And I don't know. I From what you see, Allen's run for, I don't know, what is it, like 1,000 yards, 1,500 yards, first couple of years, first three years of his career. Joe Burrow doesn't need to run. And I, I believe you just got done telling us why Tom Brady's number should be retired. That guy didn't run to the supermarket, let alone down the field. Different era I mean, of the what, league. What are we talking about? Different era. Here? Different era. Come on. Different era. So so you're saying that if Tom Brady was in this era, he wouldn't be successful. Is that what you're saying? Well, Tom Brady would be successful in any era. Don't don't even oh, get so, Tom Brady in this oh, conversation. Okay. So, so we don't I'm sorry. Is Joe Burrow Tom Brady, Dave? We don't. Uh, I don't know. No, he's definitely not. I'm going to tell you right now he's not. He's not. <laughs> At least know. not right now. He is. Uh, he he needs to worry about Patrick Mahomes before he can worry about Tom Brady. That'd be my advice. To him. Uh, I mean, he's four and one against Patrick Mahomes. How, how how's he looking in the ring department in terms of Patrick Mahomes? I mean, how is Josh Allen looking in the ring department? Hey, I I didn't bring up. Josh Allen beat Patrick Mahomes. I don't know how this got about. I, I didn't mean to bring up Patrick Mahomes because there's a reason. How many times Josh Allen beat him? There's a reason Mahomes was not in this question because obviously you're not going to be able to How many Super Bowls anybody. has Josh Allen played in despite Ooh. playing in three more seasons in the NFL? It's how many Super Bowls has he been at? Zero. Oh, okay. I was curious. I didn't. I wasn't sure. Is it, Oh, I'm sorry. Is it all about getting to Super Bowls? I mean, was kind of, yeah. Oh, so the Dodgers are aren't a disappointment because they they're 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 getting to uh, they're losing all those World Series, but Joe Burrow gets to one of those Super Bowls. He's all of a sudden the son of Christ. I said they weren't a disappointment. No, you I said what, they were a disappointment. No, I'm saying, but it's not. But it's all about just getting there, right? That's it. You just have to get there. It's, you got to get there because yeah. eventually you're gonna win them if you keep if you keep showing up. Are you? The the Bills are an example of that where that's not necessarily gonna happen. <laughs> You mean the team that Josh Allen's on that can't get there? Okay, that was 30 years ago. <laughs> I don't think we can blame Josh Allen for something that happened when he wasn't alive. You're right, I can't blame him because they haven't been there yet. No, they haven't. Uh, but I like their chances if they get back better than Joey Joey Burr, especially when he loses T. Higgins when they won't Remind him. me again, was Josh, were the Bills the favorite this year for the Super Bowl? You know who was the favorite for the World Series? <laughs> yeah. Dodgers. <laughs> yeah, but one team made the the finals, the other team didn't. I suppose that's fair. Giving Josh Allen the edge though, no doubt. Uh oh my god, I keep forgetting to get rid of these friggin' numbers. Where are you, thirty-eight? Get off my wheel. Alright. Next one. Who is gonna take part in this? We have question number 23 featuring me and Brandon. All right, Dave. 
This is a this is a simple one. This is a fun one. This is a good one. <laughs> I don't know how many words I can use here. Um, you get you may have heard of these players. Uh, LeBron versus MJ. All right. Um, so who's arguing what? Me and you, Brandon. Dave's determining who's going to argue. Have a preference? LeBron versus M. No, I have no preference. No. I'll argue either one of them. Same. All right. Um, Jake can take MJ. Maxwell can take LeBron. Okay. All right. I'll start. Um, LeBron's got the the greatest longevity in basketball history, 20 years, 19 all-star games, most points in NBA history, 10 straight finals, completely had the East and a chokehold for a solid 15 years, um, went and won championships and every with every single team he played, brought um, lasting memories to three different franchises, um, threw daggers down the hearts of many, as I know personally being a Celtics fan. Um, and again, as far as the, the additional games he's played in terms of playoffs, he's probably played like 23 seasons. So, um, he's got the, the, the most, uh, complete package of probably any player ever. Um, he can hit the three better than he ever has in his career, having one of the best seasons of his career, statistically low key. Um, although obviously his defense isn't the same as it used to be, and he's not playing as many games because of the injuries adding up, but uh, for the majority of the season, he had a really bad roster around him, a roster that made absolutely no sense. Um, all he really needs is a guy who can hit a shot, and he'll be able to rack up assists and get them open looks all night. But they don't really have that with the Lakers, and Anthony Davis is super inconsistent. So anyone who uses that as a knock against him um, needs to take that into consideration as well, especially the fact that, you know, again, he's 38. He's in his 20th season. And if you're going to compare MJ in that sense, MJ played for, I believe, what, 14 seasons was it? And um, he took two three years off and then he took uh, a couple years off in between the bulls and the wizards as well so he had a lot of time off in between um comebacks and that definitely could have served to longevity in his career granted mj you know if you put him in today's rules with today's equipment today's training and, and whatnot that would obviously uh you know be, be a difference maker on that end but um lebron if he was playing in an era where uh you know defense was honestly it, 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 there's a give and take because the spacing definitely wasn't as good. Obviously, we were able to be more handsy and physical, but who you can also argue that that's not necessarily defense too. So, uh, you know, again, LeBron, dominant in multiple eras, uh, times in basketball where you were seeing playoff games finish with, like, scores in the 80s to times where you're seeing games finish with scores in the 140s. So LeBron has, you know, been everlasting, and I think his longevity is the biggest um, – Thing to, to prove that the fact that he's been doing this for 20 years with no signs of slowing down and he still plans to play a few more seasons at the least um i mean we're only going to see those stats continue to rise imagine how many points he's going to be ahead of kareem by the time he finishes uh that record will you know obviously you know who knows 40 years from now someone could break break that record but that's going to be becoming uh pretty untouchable by the time he's finished too when we're in our 60s and victor Wembanyama's playing season 40 and breaking the bronze record um and we're on episode 2000 of Crossing City. Uh so MJ. Um Dave I got a question Dave. Uh for my case of MJ. You know MJ's record in finals game 7s? 
He never played in one. Never played in one. I'm just messing around. Uh, no, but come on now. Um, MJ is the greatest player to ever play the game of basketball. Um, you know, I, I always say, I've always said Kareem. I still stand by that, but we're not talking about Kareem right now. Um, you know, six championships, two three-peats, six finals MVPs, a ton of actual MVPs, won a defensive player of the year in his younger days. Also made a lot of all defensive teams. A really, really, you know, elite defensive player in his heyday as well. And you know, you, you look at the numbers, and they're they're just eye popping on so many levels. The amount of minutes he played, the amount of points he scored, and the the putting up thirty six points per game, like stuff that you're not gonna like. Maybe James Harden touched it, but like, just insanity. Scoring so many scoring titles. You know, steals, titles. You know, he was stealing two-something steals per game in, in, in the height of his days. And, you know, like you said, Brandon, if, you know, if he had access to what players have access to now, would he be even better? Would he have taken years off? You know, like what if he played every season from when he came in the league to when he left from 84 to 03? If he played a full 19 seasons, what would his numbers look like instead? Would they have won eight straight titles in the 90s if he was around? Um, I don't like to think about that for my beloved Akeem Olajuwon, but... Would they have won eight straight titles? You know, if he was around um, and didn't go and play baseball and come back and play half a season, and then they didn't win that time. Um, you know, who knows? But you know, it it he was such a dominant player, and I mean, I think that's what really where the comp to LeBron comes because they're not really. I, I I don't see a whole lot of similarities between them because LeBron is such a freak of nature, but. Jordan was just so damn dominant. You really didn't, you hadn't seen a guy like that in the NBA, maybe ever or at least in decades. And, you know, comparatively, at least. Um, I, I, I also love, I mean, I love Jordan. I've grown to like LeBron a lot too. But I think when you look numbers compared to the others, I think, you know, I hate to be that guy, but yeah, LeBron's gotten to a lot of finals. He's gotten to the, you know, he's gotten to play a lot of great teams, and he's gotten his team on the doorstep a, a hell of a lot more than a lot of players in NBA history have. But that's a lot of losing that he's done too. I mean, he's faced some really, really solid teams, some dynasties, and he's lost a lot to those dynasties: the Spurs, the Warriors, you know, the, the Mavericks. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think. I think what gives me the edge, you know, but what gives Jordan the edge rather is that very little, when he uh, very not very often when he got to the postseason did it end with defeat. I mean, he learned in his early days playing against the bad boys and the Celtics. He grew as a player. He developed, and then you know, once he hit the '90s with the Bulls, they were practically unstoppable, except for when he decided not to play. Um, so I think in terms of dominance, in terms of overall ability. I uh, I give the edge to Michael Jordan, so that's my that's my two cents. Uh, next up, we have number three, being argued by Dave and Brandon. Oh boy, let's have some fun. Number three. Ooh, damn! I'm I'm very jealous. I didn't get to argue this one. Uh, number three, the better all-time rivalry, the Red Sox and the Yankees or the Celtics and the Lakers. Dave, you will be arguing for the Red Sox and the Yankees. Brandon, you will be arguing for the Celtics and the Lakers. You may determine whoever wants to go first. I'll start. Okay. Uh, classic battles. 
for one, they're both in different conferences, so they actually meet in the finals, and they've had insane battles every time it's happened. Both of the two best teams in basketball history, 17 championships. Both probably have, you know, a handful of guys in the top 10, 15 of NBA players ever. Both have so much history, so much um, – the, the fabric of, of the NBA is, is Celtics-Lakers, and nothing in that sport can possibly beat it. Red Sox-Yankees had its run, but it's definitely not what it used to be. Um, and Celtics-Lakers, even when they do meet up, I mean, we just saw this game against the Lakers. You know, it was uh, obviously because of a controversial call, but it was made that much bigger because it was a Celtics-Lakers game. Um, and we saw the cutback that the Celtics had against the Lakers earlier this year where Tatum went off in the fourth quarter in overtime. Uh, even when the Lakers are, uh, you know, having a shaky season and when the Celtics are doing well or when the Lakers are doing well and the Celtics are having a shaky season, um, they're still always coming out with these insane battles. Uh, Red Sox-Yankees, it's an amazing rivalry, of course. Um, but for the past decade plus, we've seen it be, you know, four and a half hour games where one team is completely dominant, one team is trash. Uh, for pretty much the whole season, and they haven't really been good at the same time for for a minute. Outside of that, 2018, uh, it was 20, no, it was, it was it 18 or 19 when they met the playoffs? It was 18, right? Yeah, 18. Yeah, yeah, it was 18. The, the other one, the World Series. Yeah. Right, them and Rock Holt mm -hmm. for the cycle. Yep. Um, granted, there was that one year, but outside of that, it's been you know a bit of time before they've uh, met in the playoffs, and that rivalry rivalry really needs you know another wrench to be thrown into it. To, to bring it back up to that intensity again. Meanwhile, Celtics Lakers is still cooking anytime they meet up. As we know from our uh, our gathering, watching them play each other. Um, all right, Dave, you got your work cut out for you. Red Sox, Yankees. You're muted. You're, you're muted, Dave. <laughs> it's the greatest rivalry in sports because they've been playing for over 120 years. I mean... They play in the same division, so you know you're going to see them play 18 times a year, 16 times a year, whatever it is. Red, the Celtics, Lakers, you never know how many times they're going to play. Could be two times a year. Half the times they play, one of the teams isn't good, or they have no title contention hopes. Uh, Red Sox, Yankees also played for the winner-take-all wild card game, 2021. Um, they also traded Babe Ruth. I mean, that's a storyline in and of itself. You start to have a rivalry based on that, just trading a guy that's the best baseball player of all time, potentially. Uh, I mean, New York, Boston, That's there's history there, too. There's, there's a number of things you can take. Ortiz came to the Red Sox. The Yankees wanted them first. There's just there's a lot of aspects. 3 nothing Yankees lead. Red Sox comes back. 14-game lead for the Red Sox. Yankees come back on them. There's, yeah. there's like all these different storylines that have taken place over the course of 120 something years. And there's just no way that Celtics Lakers could match that for seven, over 70 years. Damn. I like those. I like those arguments. Those are good. Those are good. I like that. It's good stuff. That's real. That's real. Embrace, embrace debate. You know what I mean? All right. 44. Between me and Dave. How fun. All right, Brandon, you are determining who is arguing the case. <laughs> this is a funny one. All right, uh, Brandon, the topic is expand or condense the March Madness bracket. Damn. Um, 
Dave is going to argue expand. <laughs> and Jake is going to argue um, minimizing. Okay. Dave, I'm a gentleman, so you can go first. <laughs> what a gentleman. Uh, I really try. Uh, I will say... I don't think they should do anything with the tournament, but if I have to pick one or the other, I think to take teams away would be asinine and insane because it, the tournament has never been better. There's never been more parity. Uh, I know people will say that the best teams get in regardless if there's 64, there's 32, or 48, because then you, you it's watered down the more teams you have. But uh, I just think that it makes it more special with the team that comes out on top. You have more of a challenge. You see more teams come in, more people compete. The sport has never been healthier. You have more people staying in college longer because of NIL deals now, like Drew Timmy, Oscar Sheboy, player of the year last year. Those guys would have gone to the NBA, probably fl flamed out already, gone to Europe. You have guys transferring all over us. So you have small schools playing a part now because you have 24-year-old people, you know, players playing on like Stephen F. Austin or Charlotte or murray state as opposed to rotting on the bench somewhere else those those guys stay together stay together for all four years whereas um like duke kentucky they have basically just one and dones or they have transfers that come in for one year the chemistry isn't there as much so you see more upsets uh i i just think overall you're looking at a much better product if you have more teams than less okay <clears throat> There's too many teams. All right, there's too many teams in this bracket. 64, you don't need... I'm sorry, not even 68. Right, 68, because you have the play-ins. It's unnecessary. You, you know what? You have the great Cinderella runs. Stephen F. Austin. Florida Gulf Coast. George Mason. St. Peter's. You know what all those teams have in common, Dave? What is that? They all lost. <laughs> they all lost eventually. They didn't even make the title, all right? Did you, did you enjoy the, the games? They're all right. Do, can, you can, lying can, sack. Can, can you tell me? Can you tell me one? You lying actually, sack. Hold on, hold on. L let me ask. A let me ask sack. a question to the neutral party here. Brandon, do you remember? Uh, can you name one player from the Florida Gulf Coast team that upset Georgetown? Uh, I I honestly can't really name any college basketball players, so that's not. I'm not the greatest person. Dave, to ask. can you name one person from that team? Yeah, Thompson. Oh, Thompson. Yeah, dude, Thompson. Chase, Chase Feeler, the guy that threw the alley-oop with the blonde oh. hair. Paul Center, blonde okay. hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, name me a player from that Stephen F. Austin team. Ooh, now he's Thomas Walkup. Thomas Walkup? Okay, the George Mason team. Well, I think they proved his value. I mean, that was 20 years ago. The George Mason team was 20 years ago? It was 06. It was like almost 20 years ago. But it, But it was such a memorable run. There must be somebody from the team we remember. Right. Okay, I'm name me someone. That's, that's taking it way out. I mean, it's college. It's college. Oh, oh, but but we're having so much fun with all these these teams coming in and making runs. But do they... Why do I care what the players are named, though? But you, that's what makes it memorable. You remember the players on the team. No, what makes it memorable is the game you're watching, not the players. The, the players and are... what are. Who makes the, the plays? That... <laughs> okay, but do you remember... Like, do you remember all the players from Duke though when they won it in two thousand? In two thousand, oh, of course I remember Shane Battier. 
Yeah, he was on those teams. Duke didn't even win it in 2000. Ah, see, he's got me there. (laughs) (laughs) No, I know. Vermont won in 2000. I remember that. Um, No, but there's just, it's like, yeah, great. So Stephen F. Austin makes a run. They get to the final, the Elite Eight, the final four. Great. They lose to Kansas because that's what happens every time. They lose to Kansas, or they lose to Duke, or they lose to Wisconsin, or they lose to UNC. They're gonna lose to these teams. Like it's it's just it's a fait accompli. You're never so them gonna... winning those them winning four games didn't matter or three games didn't matter. That's it's cool, but you know you're gonna get to the same result either way. And also like you're gonna get to oh okay so St. Peter's gets to play Kentucky or Kansas whoever it was they ended up playing like. They beat Kentucky. Exactly. But Kentucky sucked. They're going to play whoever they lost to. UNC? Who did they, who did they lose to? I'm not telling you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this, 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 this guy. <laughs> this guy is so riled up. <laughs> he won't even tell me who St. Peter's lost to. I have to look it up. Oh, God. Well, they lost to Iona on the 19th. <laughs> that was this year. Yeah, I, I know. Also, they lost in the Elite Eight to, uh, yeah, UNC. Because I got it right. This smart-ass didn't want to admit it. You said Kentucky first. Yeah, I did, but they I was... Kentucky a, in the first round. I was eventually right. Yeah, they lost by 20 to UNC in the Elite Eight. So, great story. They won a few games. It's awesome. So, what did they? What was their reward for that? Their Wait, best player... Hold, pl- on, hold what, on. What was their hold reward on. for that? Their best player transferred. That hold was on. their reward. Hold on. Hold on. You just said great story. Isn't that what the tournament's all about? Great stories? I was being sarcastic. Oh, well... I don't know. I heard great no, I story. Be, uh, yeah, I was being sarcastic. I have a witness here. Maxwell's in the middle between us on these screens. They they were I have f- a witness. They were they were it was a, it was fine. It's like okay, well that was cool. All right, well now they lost to the team that's going to eventually get to the finals. So cool. Did you want to see? So tell remind, me. So remind me, remind t- tell me. Again. Tell me remind in me your again. in your heart of hearts. In your heart of hearts. Did you really want to see St. Peter's beat UNC and go on to play Duke, or do you want to see UNC beat them and play Duke in the final four? Remind me again. How many teams won the title? That'd be one. Okay, so no matter who you say, other than one team is going to be a loser in this tournament. Hey, I asked so you. What, I, what is the argument if St. Peter's me. loses? Excuse in me. Sixteen of the Elite Eight. I asked you a question though. Did you really want to see, see the underdog play? As oh as my! Like God. You really wanted to see St. Peter's play Duke? I'm sorry. How close was that Duke UNC game? It, it it doesn't. At least it was two like really good teams. It would have been even farther if it was the, if it was Duke and St. Peter's. It would be like a forty point game. Would Kentucky have beat Duke or UNC? Oh hell no! <laughs> Kentucky stinks. <laughs> they were the two seed. Yeah, but at least they got people worth watching on their team. Call call me when the kid from call me when the kid from St. Peter's makes the NBA. <laughs> Is no, I know, I know that's that's I know that's that's ridiculous. I know only like sixty guys make the league. I understand that was that that's silly, but I don't even remember that guy's name. What was his name? Like I'd... Pete Lockhart? What was it? And Duffo. No, the guy from St. Peter's. From last year. The one that transferred to Bryant. Oh, that um, Doug Edder. Doug Edder. Doug Edder. Yes. Uh, who we tried to get on this podcast, but he, uh, I can see why he might not have wanted to come on. I I just don't get the argument. Of, of not wanting to expand because you want to see other teams play. Like, if if, you, if those teams are so good, they should beat St. Peter's, right? Well, yeah. I guess so. If Duke is that good and they should win the title, they should beat St. Peter's, no problem. Well, Dave, like you said, though, I mean, there's just, you know, 
anything can happen when you get to the playoffs. Sure, but the good team should win, right? The best team should win. Well, that doesn't happen all the time. The Dodgers should win every time they get to the playoffs, but they don't. <laughs> it's all coming back to the Dodgers. <laughs> I think I think you're getting confused because I argued for them that I actually care about them. Uh, I I do I, I agree with you on this. I think the tournament should stay the same size as it is. I don't think they should touch it, but they will expand. They should it. expand it to three hundred and sixty teams, and every team should be involved. That's right. You or I would make it every year. That's all I yeah. care about. Just hang those banners. All right. <laughs> tournament appearance. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Existed. You could hang it the day the season starts. <laughs> all right. Number thirty. Being argued by. I guess I should have spun that wheel. Whoops. All right. Dave and Brandon. Ooh. So I get to determine who's arguing what. This is going to be spicy. All right. Brandon and Dave, you guys are going to argue who will go down as the more... uh, Not more iconic. I was reading the wrong one. Who goes down as the greater player when their careers are said and done? Mike Trout or Shohei Otani? Dave, you will be arguing for Shohei Otani. Brand, you will be arguing for Mike Trout. How about I it? Can, uh, Mike Trout's got all the stats already. He could retire right now, and he's already a Hall of Famer. He could have retired three, four years ago, and he would have been a Hall of Famer too. Um, leads pretty much every stat in terms of active players. Um, he doesn't really steal bases anymore, but he's still perfectly capable, and I'm hoping to see him do that more this year uh, with the um, expanded rules and the wider base, base paths and everything. So um, he, he's just got a, the, the full pick, the full package in terms of a player. Obviously, Otani does too, especially with the pitching, but um, Mike Trout's probably the purest five-tool player uh, in the game right now, and he's... You know, even if he has uh, injuries and, and things like that, um, and he's on a terrible team that he's got no influence over in terms of them being bad, um, he's still pretty much the first player that a lot of team a lot of teams would probably pick if uh, they were starting a team right now and they wanted someone to lead their franchise. And also, I mean, think about how difficult it's got to be playing for the Angels for a decade. I mean, Shohei Otani's obviously dealing with it right now too, but. Mike Trout's been there for, you know, 10 years dealing with that bullshit. And the fact that he's still coming in, still motivated to be the player that he is, um, I mean, I think you got to give us some credit for that. Dave, Otani Hive. Um, I think Trout is a fantastic player. And he's obviously a no-doubt Hall of Famer, but... Um, I, j- I just think that Otani is like, he's a special case. I mean, Trout, when he first came in the league and over the last few years, has been looked at as kind of like the gold standard of the best player. But unfortunately, the last few years, he's been hurt a lot, hasn't been healthy, hasn't been able to help the Angels really a lot due to his limited impact on the field. Uh, meanwhile, Otani, has, all he's done has been a top 10 pitcher in baseball and a top five hitter in baseball. I mean, he's basically. He's basically two of the best players in baseball playing in one body. He's an he's a cyan caliber pitcher and he's an MVP caliber hitter. Mike Trout is at best an MVP caliber hitter, but he doesn't pitch. So right there, you're already you're already mounting two players against one basically in the same body against Trout and Otani. So 
I think even if even if you say he'll scale back on each of them, say he becomes a top 15 hitter and a top 20 pitcher, that's still more valuable than a top five hitter just in one body. Like you're still you're still getting two valuable players in one, even if he scales back what he's done the last couple of years, which after last year, there's no reason to think he will. He's, he, he produced very, very similar numbers hitting and better numbers pitching last year. So I, I just think overall you're just looking at potentially one of the most unique players ever to play baseball. Wow. Well, look at that. That's quite the debate right there. I like them. I like them both. I think both of them don't make the Hall of Fame. <laughs> All right, 31 going down the line here, I guess. Between me and Brandon. So, Dave, you are going to determine which one of us is arguing this thing. All right. Ooh, it's a fun one. Dave, the bigger Boston icon, Larry Bird or David Ortiz? Brandon will at, will argue David Ortiz. You'll argue Larry Bird. Big Poppy saved the Red Sox. They were an irrelevant ass franchise for 86 years. Um, <laughs> the greatest hitter, um, clutch hitter in in perhaps baseball history, but definitely Red Sox history. Um, you could go through a top 10 list of David Ortiz's hits just in the playoffs alone. Um, beast among beasts. Um, made, he's a Hall of Famer, of course. He he's just you know the full package in terms of a hitter and also the personality that you wanted to leave your team as well. Um, yeah, rest my case. Oh, never mind. Jake's not there. <laughs> I guess I'll keep talking about David Ortiz then. Uh, <laughs> um, you're not done yet. <laughs> yeah. He also has a, a great success story coming from the twins where he got cut and, you know, not really having a direction for his career, not really knowing what was going to come from it. And then he went to the Red Sox and just, um, things have pretty much immediately picked up for him as soon as he got there and you hear about the influence that Pedro Martinez had on him too and it's just a great story um him Manny Ramirez all of those guys that you know really put the socks on the map and really made again them relevant again <clears throat> um not to mention you have pretty much the entire Dominican uh community uh rooting for the socks because of the three of those guys like you got someone who's as Bronx as Cardi B you know hardcore Bronx Red Sox fan you know you could say the case with a lot of people because um their influence in the Dominican Republic is so impactful based off of what they did during the those World Series runs so um yeah David Ortiz and I don't know how much longer I can keep this going for so and yeah. I mean you're forgetting the biggest part too he survived a gunshot like he's basically yeah. invincible absolutely got the the gunshot got those fools locked up for trying to take David Ortiz out David Ortiz still here still grinding and uh yeah jake i've been rambling for no. a while <laughs> well, you're, you're, i'm gonna pretend up. that i didn't hear that the red sox were irrelevant for 86 years when uh they had ted williams and jimmy fox and dwight evans and jim rice in town but no but you know what i mean i know i know, I know what you meant but uh it, i still take it very personally when uh when when jimmy fox is in, in either slighted uh purposely or inadvertently um so, yeah, I mean, David Ortiz definitely, I think Brandon says correct about David Ortiz. But, you know, Larry Legend, if you're talking about bringing a team back to what they were supposed to be and what they were, 
yeah, the Celtics won a couple titles in the 70s, but they weren't the Celtics of the 50s and the 60s. They weren't a dynasty again. Um, that was what Larry Bird brought back to Boston and what Boston hasn't had since. I mean, you're winning three titles and I think it was, what, five, six years, I believe, three titles in six years maybe. Um, you know, beating the Lakers, going up against the Lakers, that rivalry we were talking about. And, you know, it's hard it's hard to crack the Celtics like all time top three when you're coming to town and you're playing in the same city that Bill Russell played in, Tommy Heinsohn, Bob Cousy, John Havlicek, Dave Cowens, all these guys. It's really hard to assert yourself as one of the greatest in Boston. Um, and especially since, you know, those guys weren't gone very long by the time Bird got here. When Larry Bird got to Boston, Bill Russell only been gone for a decade. Like, it's not, you know, they, they, it's not like he was there 20 years after Bill Russell left. He, he was, you know, for Bill Russell was still very fresh in the memory of Boston fans. Havlicek had only been gone for maybe five years by the time, uh, you know, Larry Bird showed up. A few years by the time Bird showed up. So, still very fresh in people's memories. And the fact that he was able to assert himself into that all-time pantheon of Celtics, where right now, I mean, he's probably only behind Bill Russell at this point. In terms of great Celtics and Boston icons, and if you you know, if you put them above Bill Russell, which some people may, I don't, but some people may, then that puts him on that Boston Mount Rushmore. And Poppy's right up there with him, but you could also argue Ted Williams for the Red Sox. And obviously Ted Williams doesn't have the World Series, but uh, he's as much of an icon as anybody in Boston history. So uh, I I do have to ultimately say um, that Larry Bird's the the bigger boston icon for what he was able to bring back to the celtics but i guess you could also say david ortiz did the same thing for the red sox it's uh but obviously basketball is a little bit more of an individual sport uh than baseball but uh yeah we do one more here let's see what we got ah lucky number 12 between brandon and dave what a fun time all right, boys. Oh, this is a good one to end on. Uh, the better Patriots dynasty, the first one or the second one? Uh, Dave, you will argue the second. Brandon, you will argue the first. All right, I'll start off. Um, the first dynasty was the purest. It's what kicked it all off. It was the, the chef's kiss of everything, just the, the pinnacle of all the misery of Patriots fans. They're the entirety of the team's existence all just coming up into the perfect, you know, recipe, getting a, a lucky call going your way in, in the tuck game, um, which, I mean, obviously, it, if we're going by today's rule, it's a fumble, but that tuck rule, as stupid as it was, I mean, it met the qualifications for it. Um, but again, it was a shitty rule. And Patriots took that to their advantage and let it to six, and let it lead to uh, six Super Bowl rings. Um, also, as far as the first dynasty goes, the defense was so impactful and you have so many memorable names there. Um, you have so many memorable moments as well with Adam Vinatieri basically sealing every single one of those Super Bowls with a clutch field goal. Um, seeing it happen three times in a row was beautiful. Um, and yeah, I think that, you know, the, the past fans as well, thinking about it this way, um, that was when, you know, things were, weren't taken for granted as much. You know, people were really surprised by this and it was people getting you know really hype on the Patriots because they were doing some things that they didn't expect versus expecting Super Bowls every year so at a certain point it almost became 
um, an expectation. And and I'm not saying that for myself because all of them were just as sweet as the the first. But um, I I think a lot of the fan base ended up becoming you know kind of numbed to the winning, and they ended up being kind of curmudgeonly about uh, curmudgeons about watching the Patriots over a certain amount of time because again any any slight imperfection was the end of the world um, because nothing was ever good enough unless it was the the championship. And I get that's a awesome mentality for like the team and whatnot but as a fan it could definitely you know become kind of tough if, if someone's rooting like that so as far as the fan perspective i think that makes the first dynasty sweet as well uh good points but i'd argue that when you look at you mentioned the defense i'd argue that the second dynasty has two of the most memorable defensive plays in patriots history with dante hattower strip sack and um malcolm butler's interception at the at the goal line so i'd argue that those two plays are potentially the most impactful defensive plays in a big game in, in patriots history potentially and i'd say the second dynasty has two of the best super bowl games in nfl history not just patriots history you have the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history with one of the best performances by a running back with James White. Brady throws for over 400 yards, one of only two QBs to do that. Kurt Warner, Brady's done it twice now, once against Philly, once against uh, the Falcons. Both came in the second dynasty. And you have the Seahawks Super Bowl. Brady led them back against potentially one of the greatest defenses of the last 30 years. Br- brings them back basically as perfect in the second half and delivers just an absolutely epic comeback topped off by Malcolm Butler intercepting Russell Wilson on the goal line. And then you cap off the three, the third Super Bowl by beating one of the up-and-coming coaches that everyone really loves and the swan song for Brady and Gronk in New England. Uh, I think overall, when you look at it, the two most memorable games in Super Bowl history for the Patriots, arguably, we're both in the second dynasty. It's not wrong. It's a good. It's a good point. You have the you have the chicken or the egg. Is it the one that started it, or the one that's most recent? It's the one that I had. That will keep philosophers thinking for a while. <laughs> uh, we have plenty more questions to get to in the next debate club, but for now, uh, we'll we'll call that a we'll call that a wrap. We have a lot of. I think I think I I think I convinced Dave that we need to get the field down to sixteen teams, um, and I'm proud that I did that. Uh, that would be a very sad tournament. <laughs> well, even I would admit that'd be pretty that'd be pretty sad. Uh, I don't think I don't know if I love you or I's chances of getting back to that tournament anytime soon. <laughs> if it's a sixteen field tournament, we may as well just move down to division. Yeah, you might as well start playing D two. Uh, well, Brandon, thank you again for joining us on Debate Club, which I will say again was a Brandon Maxwell original. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Of course. As always. Of course. Uh, Dave, any closing thoughts? Uh, I would just say that I think, uh, like Malcolm Butler, I do my best work at the end zone. Oh, my so, God. Um, like Malcolm Butler, you do your best work on the sideline. <laughs> <laughs> I do my best work when I have a uh, DMP CD at the end of my name. Yes, that's right. Yeah, you do. You do your best work when you piss off Matt Patricia. That's when you do your best work. 
I feel like everyone does that. Yeah, well, except except apparently Mac Jones. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, you can follow us at CSL Podcast on Twitter. Keep an eye out for more of our uh, more of our episodes. We'll talk to you guys soon.